Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. I'm delighted to recommend a local photographer I have worked with and love, Tara Nepp of T-Photography. Visit her website at taryn.photography, and Taryn is spelled T-A-R-Y-N. If this is your first time here, welcome. You may be wondering what it means to have a special Patreon release. So here's the scoop. Patreon was a platform we used to generate financial support for the Savvy Sauce. And we expressed our thanks to those paying patrons by giving them a bonus episode every month. But in 2024, we transitioned away from Patreon when we became a nonprofit called the Savvy Sauce Charities. The podcast is part of this nonprofit, which exists to resource loved ones to inspire growth and intimacy with God and others. So people used to pay to support us through Patreon, but now they can just donate directly to our nonprofit. We spend thousands of dollars each year to record and produce these episodes, and we do pray that they're beneficial and that God sees fit to use them to be transformational in your life. If that is the case, if you have ever benefited from an episode of The Savvy Sauce, would you consider showing your gratitude through your financial generosity? Any amount is greatly appreciated. In fact, if every listener gave only $1 per month, it would completely offset our costs. We have all the details on our website, thesavvysauce.com, but feel free to also reach out to our team anytime if you want to partner together. Our email address is info at thesavvysauce.com. And now I'm pleased to share this episode with you that used to only be available to paying patrons. My guest is my friend, author, Christian sex therapist, and previous colleague, Dr. Jennifer Kanzen. Here's our chat. Welcome back to The Savvy Sauce, Dr. Kanzen. It's really good to be here. Will you just start by sharing a snapshot of your life right now? It's a little full right now, but all good things. I have a private practice that's thriving and busy. Lots of wonderful people I get to work with in my therapy office. And then I'm a professor at three different universities where I teach on the areas that I specialize in. And then we are having the lovely opportunity to go around speaking quite a bit all over the world and all over the States. And then I'm right in the middle of finishing up a book. So I get to spend a bit of time writing, but I would say the best snapshot of my life right now is my kids. They're all adults, which is really fun. My oldest is getting married and that's a really fun joy for us as a family. Today, we're going to talk about talking about sex. Where do you want to start? Well, long before I even became a sex therapist, I have felt like couples, people need to talk openly and honestly about sexuality with their kids, in their marriage, in their ministries. In fact, I'm teaching a lesson and they always title it, How to Teach Your Kids About Sex and Purity. If we talk about it, it has to be in regards to how to help people stay pure. And I'm like, 
yeah, no, take the word purity off the title. Let's just talk about sex. And I'm like, I think where we need to start is how to just openly and honestly talk about sex overall. And the the reason for married couples that's important is we actually know from research that if couples don't talk openly about sexuality, it influences their overall marital satisfaction and their sexual satisfaction. So on all levels, talking openly and honestly is needed. What are the benefits that do come from this increased verbal sexual intimacy? Well, when people are genuine and real, number one, their actual enjoyment of sex in the act of engaging sexually as a married couple is going to be higher because then, let's say for a wife, she's able to say that type of touch, yeah, no, move your hand here, or can you put lotion on your hands that's scratchy, or can you be firmer, like literal, hey, this is what I need, and this is what I don't like, and this, can you change this? That influences her ability to receive pleasure. But it's kind of funny when a partner, and I'm here talking about a female partner, when she's more assertive and honest about and talking openly, even in the midst of sex, about what she wants, but then also before and after sex, meaning when they're having coffee together the next morning, when she's open and honest about what she's feeling and needing, partners, their husbands often feel like, they are enjoying sex a lot more because they enjoy their wife being into it and communicating openly. And I can't tell you the number of husbands that are like, I just wish she would tell me exactly what she needs. So it's a turn on for men when their wives talk openly and honestly about sex. So it's just beneficial kind of all the way around. And maybe sometimes the awkwardness can hold people back. But if you want to encourage them How do you recommend just a first step to begin talking about sex? I generally tell people to start talking about other things first because they often aren't talking about sex openly because they don't even talk about touch openly. I start people off with very simple things. So assertiveness is a learned skill for many. And so I literally send them home with how to say what they feel about folding the laundry together and how they feel about doing the dishes together. Like, oh, I like how you rinse that dish. (laughs) And could you please rinse that dish differently? So I have them practice assertiveness and open communication around what you would call a mundane everyday task. Because to be able to just jump in and talk more openly about sexuality is quite a leap. And so I kind of slowly bring them in that direction. And then at one point, they're able to talk openly and honestly about, hey, I actually don't like holding hands this way. I prefer to hold hands this way, where they're saying, this is how I like to hug. So they'll talk more openly and honestly about preferences with touch. And then when they get to sexual engaging together, they're able to talk more openly and honestly about sexuality. That sounds like such a realistic progression. Thank you for unpacking that. And do you believe that attachment style ties into great sex? Oh, big time. When children are young, two, three years old, they fall down, scrape their knee, and they look around for someone to help them. Someone comes and gives them a Band-Aid and then sends them on their way to keep exploring. So there's safe people around me. I can be open with my hurts and somebody comes and helps message that that young child gets and 
they develop what you would call in the language a secure attachment style. But if that child falls down, scrapes their knee, and they're looking around for that help, and there's either somebody says, ah, quit crying, or they aren't there, they look around, there's nobody there. That child with that negative response or lack of response might develop instead of a secure attachment style, an insecure attachment style. So they might, instead of knowing someone's there for me, they might be anxious, always looking, wondering, is someone going to be there for me or am I going to be left alone? So there's an anxiousness instead of a security. Or there's a, well, you're not there for me, so I'll just have to go take care of this on my own. I'll deal with it avoidant response. And so what will happen is those young children develop what you would call that anxious uh, attachment style or an avoidant attachment style. And then that carries into their relationships when they are young adults and then into their adult romantic relationships, into their marriages where there's that anxiety constantly looking, are you going to be there for me? Or there's an avoidant, well, if you're not there for me, fine, don't need you. The reality is most people are kind of a combination of anxiousness and avoidance where they're worried, are you going to be there for me? And then when they're not fine, I don't need you anyway. And so what I do with couples is I do a little bit of an education and help them recognize their own styles and how it might come out in their parenting. And it absolutely comes out in their sexual relationship. Wow. And so if they do identify with more of that anxious, avoidant, attachment style, whereas secure is the more ideal, is there a way to repair any of those childhood wounds? You know, there's some really great work out there right now in the fields of attachment therapy and in emotion-focused therapy, EFT. I use EFT quite a bit on how to create what you would call a secure base for a couple. And so helping partners with how to be a safe place for each other so that when I risk and share with you something vulnerable, whether it's something I'm feeling or even risk and share my vulnerability with my body, that when I am risking and opening myself up and being vulnerable, helping partners to become a safe place to land so that when their partner does bring out their vulnerability. The word vulnerable, literally the Latin root is vulner, which means wound. So when a partner makes themselves woundable, they expose themselves and take a risk and say, when this happened, this is how it made me feel. Or when they take that risk and reveal their physical body. In each of those verbal or physical vulnerabilities, helping a partner have a safe response where they're compassionate and express empathy and understanding and listening, or where they express warm feelings and like even when someone's physically vulnerable, where they show their bodies. I had a a wife once say to me, I know my husband loves to look at my body when I'm naked, but I guess I would just wish that if I'm standing there, you know, naked, that he would come and wrap his arms around me and then say, you're such a good mom. (laughs) So that that's that safe response, whether I'm sharing something I'm feeling or whether I'm exposing myself physically, that my partner is safe. And this is true for both men and women, that they can provide a new experience. Maybe somebody had all of these wounds from when they were little and there wasn't a lot of safety in their family upbringing. So they're anxious, avoidant, but they can then relearn 
how to be in a safe relationship in their adult romantic relationship. And that's always encouraging to know that you can have that corrective emotional experience. Yes. And before we move on, let's also talk about the parents out there. Are there any other examples that parents can do to help build that secure attachment for their child? Sure. I mean, obviously, we've got the kind of more well-known piece now that when a child expresses their emotions, parents can be like, oh, honey, you don't need to feel that way. Like even when they express negative emotions, like they're angry or they are insecure, I would say, especially with young children, when they'll express insecurity about their bodies, no, no, honey, you look great. Instead of going, oh, you're worried about how you look. Yep. I get worried about how I look too. I think that's a common thing. Hey, let's look at what the Bible says about how God made our bodies wonderful. So instead of saying you shouldn't feel that way, to say, oh, that's a normal feeling. Now what do we do with it? Instead of a dismissive response or a try to fix it response to emotion, have a, well, that's an understandable emotion. Now what do we want to do with that? I like that compassionate response that normalizes it and offers empathy. We mentioned this in a previous episode, but I know that you talk about conflict resolution being a huge piece of intimacy in marriage, and it's going to affect us in the bedroom. So can you share how conflict resolution can have both a negative or even a positive impact on our sexual connection? Well. We do know from research that they've taken couples through sex therapy and their sexual functioning got better because of the interventions, but the marital satisfaction actually went down. And one of the things they've been realizing more and more in the last decade or so of research is that if you don't help a couple with their conflict resolution, it doesn't matter how good you can make the physicalness of sex, their actual enjoyment of each other it does not improve. So we even research even tells us, duh, we should probably pay attention to when couples are in conflict. And so it is just an enormous piece of helping people with how to speak, meaning often it's not just she, he is not a good listener. That's not the only problem with conflict. I love how Gottman approaches it. Uh, he calls it a softened startup how a person, a partner, approaches their spouse with something that's bothering them has a huge impact on how it goes. So if they, I call it, if they do it with a blaming, attacking, or accusing stance, it doesn't work very well. So how to say what you're feeling directly and honestly without attacking is usually a growth piece (laughs) for many. And how to say it in a few sentences instead of like five paragraphs. Sometimes when people are upset, they take a whole chapter to tell what they're upset about instead of saying it in a few sentences. And for partners, that's hard to hear when there's lots of words. And then how the words come out, are they attacking? And then the other piece is for the listener, how to monitor their responses, what's happening inside of them. Because often when we're listening to people, we have lots of reactions. We're feeling hurt or we're feeling defensive or we want to fix it or you want to explain. My husband calls it the chatterbox in the back of your head. What do we do with that chatterbox that wants to talk? And I think it's important to say that all of those responses are normal and it's understandable, especially if your hurt comes up and that we shouldn't ignore it and try to shove it away, but instead say to ourselves, it's understandable. I'm feeling all these things, 
but I'm going to choose to temporarily set these things aside so that, and this is Philippians 2, so that I can consider my spouse better than myself and think of their interests. I want to make listening to them important, so I'm going to take the things I'm feeling, I'm going to temporarily set them aside so that I can get in their shoes and understand what they're sharing. So that process of conflict resolution, I call it validation, is usually a piece that many people have to relearn in order to do it well, even in their marriages. And you are definitely an intimacy specialist, because what I hear you saying is that intimacy is clearly not just the physical. Sex is not even just about sex, but there's the emotional and intellectual and spiritual components to the intimacy as well. Yeah. Yes. One without the other doesn't work well. And so when that intimacy is being experienced in different areas and couples are resolving conflict, do you find that that's yes. positively correlated with more sexual intimacy in marriage as well? Either they'll have more, they'll engage more, or the quality of it changes quite dramatically. The enjoyment of it changes quite dramatically. In your podcast, you have one tagline that talks about enjoying every benefit of one of God's most fundamental gifts. And so how do you recommend we all enjoy every benefit of one of God's most fundamental gifts? I would say, first of all, women have to relearn the spiritual view of sexuality. When you look at how the Bible portrays sexuality, the Bible's super sex positive. Yes, the majority of the scriptures are on what not to do, <laughs> but the scriptures that are on what to do are so uh, usually mind-bogglingly new because people haven't examined them before. If you even just look at how the Bible describes sex, literally the act of having sex between Joseph and Mary, it, the word that's used there, Joseph did not know Mary till she gave birth to Jesus. So the word there is gnosko. We see it in the NIV now as uh, he didn't have relations with her, but the word is one word, gnosko, which means it's the same word in John 10 that says, I know the father and the father knows me. I know the sheep and the sheep know my voice. It's the same word, gnosko. So it's that word that describes actually the relationship between Jesus and God. In other words, how well does God know Jesus and how well does Jesus know God? Well, you know, Jesus is God. So they know each other. How well does the father know us? Well, he made us, knit us together in our in our mother's womb. So that deep, intimate, experiential knowing of one another, that deep, intimate knowing of one another is the word that God uses to describe Joseph and Mary having sex. And it's fascinating because it's the same in the Old Testament. It says that Adam knew Eve and she conceived and gave birth. And that word is yada in the Hebrew, which guess what? means the same word as gnosko. It's the word to know, that deep, intimate knowing. So I would say one of the first places that people have to start to enjoy the benefit of God's gift of sexuality is that they have to relearn God's intention for it. In other words, sexuality isn't just about, say, an orgasmic response. It's about a deep, intimate connection. And how do we get there? So I'd say a relearning is the first step. I actually, I asked a, an audience full of singles just two weeks ago. It was a singles uh, workshop that I was doing on sexuality. 
which I totally appreciated those leaders knowing the importance of that. And I asked all of them, okay, all of you, uh, raise your hand if you've ever read the book of Song of Solomon. And there was like a tenth of the room. And I said, so raise your hand if you've never read it. You know, the majority of the hand. I said, it's a book in the Bible. (laughs) We've got all these TV shows and movies with all of these sex scenes in them. Why don't we go read God's version? God's version is incredible. Go read Song of Solomon and learn God's intention for sexuality. And now a brief message from our sponsor. Are you looking for a central Illinois-based photographer to capture your busy and growing family? Taryn Nepp of T Photography specializes in capturing colorful candids, meaningful moments, and delightful details. As a mother of three, she is skilled at photographing newborns and children's portrait sessions at her in-home studio year-round or on location for outdoor family sessions from April to November. Our family has worked with Taryn multiple times, both with our extended family when she gave us canvas-worthy prints of all 18 of us together and also photos of our little family of six. These are displayed in our home and because our children change so much every year, I consider family photos some of our richest treasures. And Taryn will certainly deliver when she takes your photos as well. Taryn was inspired to go into photography when she became an aunt for the first time at 14 years old. She spent many years thereafter photographing her 12 nieces and nephews. This is where her love grew for capturing the unique personalities and details of children. This is also what inspired her business name, T Photography, because she is known as Aunt T in her family. Taryn has a passion for photographing the heart and personality of her subjects, and she makes the process seamless and efficient so that you can have timeless photos to display in your home without having to stress over the details. To see her work and book a session, visit her website at taryn.photography. Also, make sure you use the code SAVVY, S-A-V-V-Y, when you're booking to receive 10 extra full-resolution digital negatives in your session package. Thanks for your sponsorship. What do husbands specifically tell you they desire in order to enjoy great sex? Without fail, the single greatest thing that husbands tell me is they want their wife to enjoy it. They want their wife to be interested in sex and she might be the initiator. So the number one thing that husbands share with me is that they want their wife to enjoy sex. And that's problematic because most women will say to me, you know, I just try to make it about him. (laughs) So she doesn't prioritize her enjoyment of sex. So which would actually benefit both of them. (laughs) That would majorly benefit both of them. And along those same lines, then, is there anything that men repeatedly confide in you that would benefit us as women to know? You know, we talked about this a little bit in a previous time together, Laura, about how, honestly, you would think it would be a sexual thing, but the biggest thing that men have brought up to me is if their wife makes demeaning comments to them throughout the day or even in the midst of sexuality, sometimes the demeaning comments will be about sexuality. She'll make negative comments about how much he enjoys sex or how much he wants to have sex. And so our culture can kind of demean men and make them feel ashamed for how much they enjoy sex. You know, uh, often what a a woman will say is all he wants is sex. And he might want sex a lot, but that phrase, all he wants is sex, says something negative about his character and his heart. And then I would say the other thing that they confide the most is that they really, really want their wives 
to communicate more while they're having sex to tell them, do this, don't do that. Like to be very verbal about what they like and enjoy as well as what they want differently. So I would say two things, that demeaning piece about sexuality and about the spouse and then open communication in the midst of sexuality. And what about women? What have wives communicated to you that they do desire in order to enjoy great sex? Oh, across the board, they'll say over and over, we don't talk enough. He doesn't share openly. He doesn't respond well when I do share. We don't go on dates. So the verbal and emotional intimacy is what women bring up across the board. When it comes to sex itself, I actually just asked this of somebody recently, and she said, I was feeling like we were never doing anything fun and creative. So she was the one. Often we'll think of men being the one who want to do sex more often and want sex to be more creative. But I would say about a third of the couples that I work with, it's actually the wife saying, we aren't doing fun, creative things. You know, I would like to buy a new book on new positions to do and fun things to do during sex. And he doesn't want to do it. So the playfulness around sexuality, I would say women bring that up actually quite regularly, the play. And it matches what you see in the scriptures because both the lover and the beloved in Song of Solomon are continually super playful, doing and saying compliments and exploring each other's, you know, very verbal about each other's bodies. So I would say the overall playfulness and that the way the other piece that women bring up a lot is that they need more uh, time where their spouse explores their body. So this has to do with the word we would often use is foreplay. They wish their spouse would spend more time not just at their genitals, meaning in their vulva and their breasts, but that they would explore their entire body, giving pleasure to their entire body. So those would be kind of the big ones. As we're speaking in light of honoring God with sexuality, are there any resources that are safe if somebody is wanting it to be more playful and fun? I know that that could be a dangerous path. You don't want to just Google anything and get images. So is there anything you would recommend? Yeah, there's actually a few of them. One's called hotholyhumorous.com. Another one is called christianfriendlysexpositions.com. And another one is called Christian Nymphos, which is just a funny title. Christian, N-Y-M-P-H-O-S. All of them have, they show the positions, but they're like with stick figures so that you're not having to actually, you know, really struggle with seeing two people doing something that you'd rather not have that picture in your mind. Um, And they have lots of just playful, fun ideas on how to steam things up in in, in a way that still honors people's belief systems. That's great. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. How can women learn to receive pleasure without feeling selfish? And where does that even come from that you said they're more likely to be the gender that does feel selfish if they prioritize themselves? Yeah. And a part of the learning on how to let pleasure in and, and be assertive with saying what they need is just even recognizing, yes, where that message does come from. So sometimes just educating them where that message comes from. 
even when I'm teaching a workshop, I'll just do it live, but I'll also do it when I'm working with couples in my office is I'll say, so what words do we use when men like sex, when men want to have sex, when they're interested in sex, when they've had multiple partners, when they are interested in having sex, what do we call them? And the words are usually, you know, Don Juan and player, and they have some negative words for that as well, but they're usually the the player kind of words. Okay, so what kind of words do we use for women? When they want sex, they're interested in sex, they want to have sex more, they say what they, you know, want, and we call them, and the words internationally in other languages still come out as the word whore and the word slut. The word nympho also comes up, but the word whore and slut come up the most. And this is interesting across boundaries as far as countries, languages. I was working with a couple from Colombia and he said they use the same word for men who are interested in sex. They say, you dog. So it's positive, like you're such a dog. But if you say it about a woman, you say, you dog, like you're negative. And so this idea of men that want sex is positive, women that want sex is negative is a cultural message that sometimes we just have to expose it. And this has been for thousands of years. I mean, we're when you look at the history of sexual treatment over the millennia, it's almost all focused on male treatment and paying attention to male functioning. So we haven't been paying attention to female functioning and female pleasure really as a culture at all. And so it's not a surprise that this woman sitting in front of me doesn't prioritize her sexual pleasure and she thinks it's selfish. So, and actually, if you look at almost every sex book out there for Christians, if you buy them in the Christian bookstores or online, almost all of them use what we'd call a stereotypical that men want sex and women don't. And that's not the case for about a third of the couples that I work with and about a third of those in the audiences I speak to. So we have messages both in our culture and even within the religious realm that say women aren't interested in sex. And so when they are, they feel like there's something wrong with me and I'm just being selfish and I'm just thinking of myself and that that's wrong and inappropriate. And that's so helpful to have that disconnect from scripture pointed out when you line up culture versus scripture. And like you mentioned, that's a great place to start. And, you know, let me add one piece to that, because this is important. When you look at how God made the body, when you look at the penis, the male penis does several things. Urine comes out of it. Ejaculate comes out of it to go in to the female during intercourse so that a baby can be created. And it is the seat of his sexual pleasure because that's where all the arousal is predominantly in the penis because that's literally where how God created it. Well, so the penis has several functions. The female clitoris, which is the seat of female arousal and orgasm for women, has one and only one purpose. She doesn't urinate out of it. Nothing else comes out of it. It has one job to bring about pleasure for the female, to orgasm, and so on. So look at how God even created the body. (laughs) He created the female body to enjoy sex. In fact, the nerve endings at the clitoris, you have, a female has more nerve endings in the clitoris than she has nerve endings in any other part of her body, including the tongue and the finger that have a lot. So God literally created the female body to enjoy sex. And so for a female to say, I want to enjoy sex and for her to pursue how to enjoy sex is not only not selfish, but it is actually pursuing God's intention. Thank you for adding that. 
And as we consider both of the genders, are there any final ideas that you have for ways that we can pleasure our spouse more? I would say go ask them. We've got to continually learn. We need to be for the rest of our lives, as long as we're married, in a position of learning about our spouse, that that learning doesn't just happen when you're dating, when you're first married. It is honestly throughout our lives. I love the Gottman cards. You can literally go online and purchase an app called the Gottman cards app. And they have some that are directly on sexuality. Now they don't come from a Christian lens. So there are questions on the cards that I don't necessarily use. They don't follow along with my belief system. But anyway, they are overall just lovely cards on how to ask your spouse these questions. So sometimes people need a little hands up on how to start having these open and honest conversations about what they prefer. That's why we created in our decks, I have five decks in the intimate marriage cards. The last two decks are purely on sexuality, on how to help couples say what they do and don't like. So I would say the first thing is go have some good conversations, learn how to ask your spouse, learn them and, and keep that learning for the history of your relationship. That is wonderful advice. And there's such joy in discovering new things or learning new things about your spouse or even rediscovering them again. Dr. Kahn's in this time has been so enjoyable. Where do you recommend listeners can go after this chat to find you online or gain access to your resources? Great question. Almost everything I've even mentioned is either on the website. So the website is the name of our first book, The Art of Intimate Marriage. It's all one word, theartofintimatemarriage.com. And then in the book, even some of the resources I've mentioned are right in the chapters of the book. And it's called The Art of Intimate Marriage. You can get that on Amazon. All of this is linked on the website. And the website has all kinds of podcasts where they can listen some more and learn some more. And it's got a blog on there. So, and links to other uh, pieces as well. So that website's got kind of a plethora of information. Wonderful. We will link to that on our show notes and our resources tab. So anyone visiting the com when they click to read more about this specific episode, we'll have links to all of that available. And I have one final question for you today. We are called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or insight. And we'd love to hear from you, Dr. Kanzen. What is your Savvy Sauce? It's going to sound so cliche, but I would say make sure you're in the word. Make sure you're reading your Bible regularly, not just reading it, like really deeply getting wonderful things out of it. I had a young woman tell me recently, she said, I had to make a decision. I was going to have my quiet time before I turned on my phone. And I was like, yep. So if we want to have great stuff in our lives, let's make sure we do that first. So uh, in a really practical way, I'd say start there. Dr. Kanzen, I always just have such a blast chatting with you. I love your mixture of humor and humility, your expertise and your joy. So thank you for giving us an understanding of how to enjoy every benefit of God's good gift of sex. It's been wonderful to be together. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news. And I want to share the best news with you. 
but it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, but Christ desires to rescue us from our sin, which is something we cannot do for ourselves. This means there is absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what He has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. And at this podcast, we're called the Savvy Sauce for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you ready to get started? First, tell someone, say it out loud, get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes and Noble and let me choose my own Bible. I selected the Quest NIV Bible and I love it. You can start by reading the book of John. Also get connected locally, which just means tell someone who's a part of a church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us here if you did make a decision to follow Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. And finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. And if you've already received this good news, I pray you have someone to share it with. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.